Well, with that being said, we're going to continue in the book of Acts. Our passage today is Acts chapter 14, verses 1 through 7. So turn there if you would. If you're using the Blue Bible, it's on page 1022. <coughs> Acts chapter 14, 1 through 7. Next week, we will cover verses 8 through 20. Next week is a really interesting story unlike any other that we've covered probably ever. So where are we at in the book of Acts? Well, first off, I'll tell you this. Um, Earlier this year, we started, we restarted our series on Acts with chapter 8. Well, we've got five more weeks in the book of Acts, and we're going to finish chapter 14 and 15, and then we're going to take a break from Acts for a while. But we're here at the beginning of 14. What's going on? Well, four weeks ago, we saw that the Holy Spirit sent out Barnabas and Saul on what is known as Paul's first missionary journey. If you're familiar with the book of Acts or the Bible, you may know that Paul took three big trips where he took to the gospel to brand new places. So four weeks ago, we covered how the Holy Spirit launched them out. Three weeks ago, they landed at their first destination, which was the island of Cyprus. And they went through the whole island. They preached. Many believed. There was some opposition. There was one particular story of great opposition And um, evil was overcome. So after they left Cyprus, they sailed north through the Mediterranean to what is now the southern coast of Turkey. And they went inland to another town called Antioch. It's a different Antioch from the one that they were sent from. The one that they were sent from is known as Syrian Antioch. The one that they arrived at two weeks ago was what they call Pisidian Antioch. Antioch, Pisidia being a region of, of central Turkey, of what is now central Turkey. And in this new Antioch, they did the same thing they've done elsewhere, and they did the same thing that they, they're going to do in our passage today. They preached the gospel of King Jesus over and over and over again. It's the good news that King Jesus is here. And so over the last two weeks, we saw that in that city of Antioch, many people believed. The Bible actually says the word of the Lord was spreading out through the whole region. And in that movement, in that shaking, in that arrival of this new life-changing, culture-transforming truth, there became some severe persecution. And Paul and Barnabas fled to the next city. So they traveled 90 miles east to get to Iconium, which is where we land in chapter 14, verse 1. And I want to tell you that the events of this story are very similar to what we've seen happen in the last three weeks. There are some real patterns that the scripture offers to us. And in those patterns, there are lessons for ministry for the church today. And just as a side note, I want you to know that In chapter 14, as they went through these cities, this is where they met Timothy. You know, 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, he was an apprentice to Paul. He was a traveling minister that Paul would send here and there to assist with the work that Paul was overseeing. So chapter 14 doesn't tell us that, 
But we learn that much later on in the book of Acts. So it's in these journeys that we're going to cover this week and next week and the following week that he, that he meets one of just a fantastic missionary, just a fantastic worker in the church. So with all that being said, let's uh, read uh, verses 1 through 7. Now at Iconium, they entered together into the Jewish synagogue and spoke in such a way that a great number of both Jews and Greeks believed. But the unbelieving Jews stirred up the Gentiles and poisoned their minds against the brothers. So they remained for a long time, speaking boldly for the Lord, who bore witness to the word of his grace, granting signs and wonders to be done by their hands. But the people of the city were divided. Some sided with the Jews and some with the apostles. When an attempt was made by both Gentiles and Jews with their rulers to mistreat them and to stone them, they learned of it and fled to Lystra and Derbe, cities of Laconia, and to the surrounding country. And there they continued to preach the gospel. I pray the Lord would bless our discussions and our meditation on his word. Let's dig into it, church, and then we'll have a discussion in a little bit. Passage. And it, it, the same thing happens in these seven verses that happened in about 40-some verses in the previous chapter. We're beginning to see patterns, what happens when the gospel of King Jesus is taken into a new place. And there's some themes developing. We'll be seeing this again. There's a lot of lessons for us as a church in this passage. Let's just look at the big, what I believe is the biggest lesson for us. Is found in verse 1. Now at Iconium, they entered together into the Jewish synagogue and spoke in such a way that a great number of both Jews and Greeks believed. You all, their message was clear. They spoke a message that people could understand and that they had to make a choice. Are we going to believe this message or are we going to reject it and cast it aside? And they didn't speak in a confusing way. They did not speak in a vague way or a general way. They didn't tell them a story that allowed the person to just leave and be like, oh, that's not very important. This message had incredible implications for everyone who heard. And part of the message is that you have to decide what you're going to do with this. So we're coming in, we're sharing this. This is not something that you can just decide to cast aside and it not affect you. 
you can cast it aside, but if you choose to do that, the consequences of your rejection of this message are going to affect you personally in a very significant way. But we know from the message that they were preaching that many, many were coming and were believing that message. It says a great number of both Jews and Greeks believed. And it says that they spoke in such a way. Y'all, there's different ways to say things, aren't there? I can look at my wife and I can say something to her and she can be like, yes, okay. But I could look at my wife and say the exact same thing to her with a completely different attitude and she'd be like, who are you? (laughs) Don't talk to me like that. There is a good way and, and right ways to share this message and then there are wrong ways to share this message. And these apostles are mature in the Lord. They, they've been commissioned by God and equipped for ministry. And they're not only sharing the right message, but they are sharing it in the right way. So their message was clear. I want to ask us, as a church, can we speak in such a way when we're here and when we're elsewhere, can we speak in such a way that people who are far from God know what they have to believe to be with God? Can we speak the message of the gospel in such a way that it is so clear that it can be understood by those who are listening? Can we speak in such a way that anyone who is hearing you and listening to you and even trying a little bit to understand you, will they understand you? The apostles' message was clear, and you all, we as the church, we must be clear in our message. I believe that in this day that we're in, We want people to be saved, but we aren't telling them what they need to know and what they have to do to be saved. I'm guilty of this myself, and a number of us at Hope Fellowship are guilty of this. We pray for someone for years and years and years to be saved, but we don't tell them what they need to do to be saved. That's troubling, isn't it? We have different reasons why we don't tell them. I can't begin to explore all of those today. But if you are wanting to see people be saved, but you are unwilling to share the gospel with them, then it is very possible that you are standing in the way of them hearing of, of God answering your prayer. Because God may want to use you to bring that person to God. So one of the things I think that stops us from speaking the me- message clearly is we aren't confident in what that message is. 
We, we are afraid that maybe they'll ask us a question and if they, that we don't know the answer to, and if so, then what do we do? We may not feel like we know exactly the right thing to say. Maybe we kind of know, but we don't know enough. But oftentimes, education is needed. You know, what does it mean to believe the gospel? What does that actually mean? That's a question that we ask ourselves sometimes. Somebody may ask you, do I have to go to church in order to be close to God? Somebody might ask you, do I have to change my life in order to be close to God? Somebody may ask you, do I have to quit smoking pot in order to be close to God? Somebody might ask you, can I keep living with my boyfriend? So, so somebody might say, well, I know the Bible and God knows my heart. Joe and I were uh, sharing the gospel with someone uh, a few weeks ago. And it was so clear that he was far from God and did not obey the gospel. And when I say obey the gospel, I mean the same thing as believe the gospel. Those terms are used somewhat interchangeably in the Bible. But it was so clear that this man did not believe or obey the gospel, but yet he had all of these reasons why he was so confident that he belonged to the Lord. And it was a short encounter for me. It was a longer encounter for Joe because Joe sees him more often than I do. But what do we have to do as a church? What do we have to do as individuals to present the message clearly? Sometimes education is needed because it takes some time to catch the details of what we believe. But you know what? All of us in here have the resources at our disposal to get that education, to grow in our theology, to grow in our confidence that we know what it is that we are supposed to say to someone. One of the reasons why we chose to go through Romans and Acts at the same time is because Acts is the story of the gospel going forth, and then Romans is the deepest treatment of the details of this message. Romans lays it all out. It starts out with man's sinfulness and the universal rejection of God, It talks about Christ and what he did on the cross, and it talks about being justified by faith, and it talks about how the gospel changes our lives. The chunk of Romans that we're going to start in in January, it talks about how the gospel changes our lives after we believe the gospel. And just so there's like all these details from beginning to end about the gospel. So we chose Acts and Romans together because we wanted to see the message advance in the book of Acts, and we wanted to explore the depths of the details and the particulars of the gospel in the book of Romans. I want to ask that we not pray and ask God to save people and be unwilling to tell them the gospel. I want to ask that of us as a church. If you're going to pray for someone to be saved, I want you to be open to speaking the gospel to them. I want you to be willing to tell them the story of Jesus 
and to tell them that God commands them to repent and believe the gospel and ask them, would you please come in? Because you need God. He's done so much for me. Tell them your story of what God has done in your life. So the message is clear. We see that in verse 1. They knew, the people who heard Paul and Barnabas, they knew what they had to believe. And they believed it. When I look at verses 2 and 3 and 4, and when I think about us, just generally speaking, as the American church, I believe that we want people to be saved, but we are scared of the opposition. Anybody with me? I think we want to see people come in because we know what God can do for somebody. And someone told us and we believed and we've received so much from God since we've believed. But we are very concerned about being opposed. Verses 2 and 3 and 4. The unbelieving Jews stirred up the Gentiles and poisoned their minds against the brothers So they remained for a long time, speaking boldly for the Lord. But the people of the city were divided, and some sided with the Jews and some with the apostles. Y'all, we want people to be saved, but we're scared that they're going to reject us or oppose us. This is the fear of man. Y'all, we need to repent of this fear of man. We're scared of conflict. In our homes sometimes, we're scared of conflict in our neighborhood. You may be scared of conflict at your school or at your workplace. We must speak the message clearly and know that we may be opposed. We see in verse 2, There was opposition and slander. Anybody ever been slandered in here? Someone said something about you that wasn't true. If we're going to go forward and make the message of the gospel clear, we have to just accept the fact that people are going to hate our guts. That people aren't going to like us. Are we prepared for this? Are you willing to risk someone talking badly about you in our community because you spoke the message of Jesus clearly? It's wrong for them to do that. It's unjust, isn't it? But y'all, it's part of the mission of Jesus. It's part of the consequence of being obedient to God when he sends us out to bring the message of His Son. We need to be prepared for opposition. Verse 2, it says, the Jews poisoned their minds. Are we willing to live like this? Most of the American church is not willing to face this. Let's repent together. Let's be willing to tell people what God requires of them. Let's be willing to speak of difficult matters 
like justice and judgment and law and sin and hell and eternity and condemnation. Let us be willing to speak of those things alongside of the mercy and the kindness and the forgiveness of a loving God who accepts His enemies and those who have disregarded Him and His commands. So the Gospel of King Jesus requires us to make certain things plain. And some of these things are easier to talk about than others. But in our conversations with others, we bring this message to them. And sometimes it may be like a single conversation, like it was for me that day Joe and I were talking to the other man. I don't know that I'll ever see the other guy again, but the other guy is a big part of Joe's life. And Joe, Joe will see him from time. I didn't ask Joe if I could talk about this. I hope I'm okay. But for Joe, it's more of an ongoing thing. For me, it was probably a one-time thing, maybe a, a two- or three-time thing. just depends on how things go. You all, I believe that the church, generally speaking, the American church, has designed ministries and programs to connect with the community, to get people to come to church so they would hear the gospel, and we expect them to do that, but we won't do our part and go to them and share it. And I'm not saying it's wrong to have a program where you hope people come show up. I'm not saying that the attractional model of ministry is wrong. But I am saying that if you're neglecting this type of ministry where you go and speak to them where they are, and you're only hoping that they come, then there's something wrong with that. Are we willing to share this message at birthday parties, at baseball games, soccer games? Are we willing to invite someone over to our house or out for coffee so we can talk about this stuff with people? We often think we have to be good friends with the enemies of Christ before we can share the gospel. I've realized in the last two years that I felt like someone had to like me and think highly of me before I could tell them about Jesus. Y'all, that's not in the book. I've had to repent of that. That's downright stupid and foolish and unbiblical. We all have these things inside of us. What is your thing that causes you to not speak the message clearly? We all have repenting to do. Let's do it together. So they faced opposition, they were slandered. In verse 3, they stayed and they faced that opposition. They stayed and they faced it. It says they stayed and they faced it for a long time. We don't know how long it was. Some people it might have been up to a few years. Some people thought maybe a few hours. I'm guessing it's certainly somewhere in between. This whole trip from chapter beginning of 13 to the end of 14 was probably a year to a year and a half. So may, what is, how long is a long time? Maybe a few weeks? Maybe a few months? We don't know for sure. Let me ask you, are you willing to stay in hostile territory? Are you willing to stay in hostile territory and minister the good news that Jesus Christ the King has come? Are you willing to face hardship every day or every week 
as you go about your business in the community or in the workplace? Are you able to draw strength from God in the middle of a season of hardship because people don't like what you're saying? Are we willing to stay in hostile territory? In Matthew 5, Jesus said this, and these words I'm about to share with you will give you strength to stay when it is hard and strength for you to continue when people don't want to hear what you have to say. Jesus says in Matthew 5.11, Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. So Jesus said that before Acts chapter 14 happened. And he said you're blessed when people speak evil against you. That's what the unbelieving Jews were doing with the apostles. They were poisoning the minds of the people in the community against them. Jesus would go on to say, rejoice and be glad. Did you know it's possible to have joy when people don't like you because you're being obedient to Jesus? Not only is it possible to have joy, but God commands that. You, you, you can't just stir that up in your own life and make yourself have joy. The only way to have joy is to be connected to the Almighty and to have Him be pouring into you. We will not be able to stay in the midst of hostility and opposition. We will not be able to have joy if we are not closely connected to our Lord. So they remained for a long time. Doing what? Verse 3 says, speaking boldly for the Lord. I've said it before, I'll say it again. When you see the word boldly, it's not talking about loud or brash or rude or loud, but it has to do with clarity and it has to do with confidence. You can confidently tell someone you can't live that way and you need to repent and turn to God and He will forgive you because of what Jesus did. You can confidently tell someone that without being a jerk. And when we tell the gospel to people, we are, by implication, saying the way you've been living is wrong and you need to change. That requires a level of boldness, does it not? It requires a level of conviction and certainty about our message. But the Lord lives inside of us and we believe the message. All that you need to be confident and to do as they are doing is to draw on that strength from the Lord. And you got to try new things sometimes, don't we? So they were speaking boldly and clearly. And they kept doing the exact same thing that caused the opposition in the first place. Did y'all notice that? They didn't stop because they were opposed. We know what happened in Cyprus. We know what happened in Antioch. And now it's happening here in Iconium. 
And the very thing that is causing this hardship, they're going to continue to do it. I hit myself with a hammer occasionally. It's not often. I'll cut myself with a knife, just a tiny bit, accidentally. And when I do stupid things like that, I usually realize why I did it and how that happened. And I usually try to not do it again, right? And that's common sense for unimportant things like hitting yourself with a hammer. But with this sharing of the gospel, it causes hardship and difficulty. Can we keep saying what we're supposed to say? As we continue in verse 3, as, as they spoke boldly for the Lord, what did God do for them? He bore witness to the word of his grace. You all, they were telling people about Jesus, and then God was showing them through miracles what Jesus can do for somebody. They, God bore witness. So they were saying it, and then God came and did something that proved what they were saying. It says that God granted them signs and wonders to be done by their hands. We don't know specifically what these signs and wonders were. I've taught quite a bit on signs and wonders as we've been going through the book of Acts. I don't think that we should get disappointed if God doesn't do signs and wonders every day, but I I do think we should be a little bit disappointed if we don't see them occasionally. I believe that it is normative and regular in Scripture that when you tell the story of the King, of Jesus, when you share this good news, that from time to time, God is going to do something really dramatic, really unique, and really special that people can't deny. This should be a regular part of our ministry. God says, or Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians, that he gives some people the gift of working miracles. And 99% of the people working miracles on TV, I I think, are, are, are probably a fraud. I'm not talking about that. But I'm talking about something that is much more ordinary and in the regular course of life. Wouldn't we love to see miracles? We know that the miracles accompany sharing the news of Jesus. So if we want to see miracles, but we're unwilling to share the news of Jesus, then something's off, isn't it? We do our part and share the message in God's strength, and occasionally God will do miracles. You all, we must work to make Jesus known. We must persevere through opposition. And sometimes... Y'all, we're going to see God do something big. Turn to Acts chapter 4.29 real quick. The church was still completely based in Jerusalem, and they had been facing opposition, just like what was going on in our passage here. And they got together at a prayer meeting, Acts 4.29, and Joe and I have been praying these verses for a year when we get together to pray. But Acts 
the church prayed, and now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness. Okay, so they were going through the same stuff that Paul and Barnabas are going through in our passage today. So grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness while you, God, we're going to speak in your strength while you, God, stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. They had the expectation that signs and wonders would be done and they understood that for signs and wonders to be done, the message had to go forth along with them. The biblical pattern is that the church proclaims the message, calling people to faith and repentance in Jesus, and then Jesus shows up and does something incredible. Uh, uh, So Susan Westfall, who I mentioned earlier, um, she works with Serve India Ministries. And I was telling her about this passage um, late last week, and she sent me a report from some of the pastors that that ministry, she's an administrator for them, and she makes occasional visits to India, but not often. She does a lot of administration here for them and enables them to do the work that they're doing. But they do a lot of pastor training. And there's a lot of pastors in India who, who just kind of feel like, okay, there's like six people that come to my Bible studies, and that's it. This is all I got. And I don't know much about the Bible, but they offer training to pastors and they help people see God's plan that we are to be a church that is moving forward and marching forward and proclaiming the gospel to every creature and all of creation, as Mark 16 says. Well, what I'm about to read to you is by one of these pastors whose life and ministry and community was changed as he went through this training. He said, Serve India Ministries helped me expand my focus and take the gospel to several villages. And when he says that, these are neighboring villages that don't have a church. Nobody in these villages know the gospel. He says, Some of these villages were glad to hear the good news, while others severely opposed it. In every situation, God helped me to overcome. The training helped me to effectively use different strategies to reach out to the people. Many people were blessed by the ministry. And then he tells a specific story about a woman in one of these communities. One such instance was the healing of a woman who was half blind. Her eyesight was gradually becoming worse, making simple tasks a burden for her. She shared this with me when I met her in the village. After our meeting, my church and I joined together to pray for her healing. Sometime later, she visited our church and testified that she had been healed. That same day, she accepted Jesus Christ as her Lord and Savior. Her testimony was useful in reaching out to the people of her village. I pray that the Lord would soon open the way for a church to be planted there soon. Y'all, this is happening in our world today. When someone who could not see now sees, it's a picture of the work of the gospel. Because when the gospel is preached and people believe, blinders are removed from their eyes. And they see their sin, they see their need for the gospel, they see Jesus and all of His glory, and Jesus comes in and transforms them. So this 
occasion of a woman being able to see who could not see before is a testimony to the power of God to save. Church, let us not expect to see miracles. Let us not expect to see God do great things if we aren't willing to do the other things that accompanied those miracles, namely the preaching of the gospel. We must be willing to make Jesus known and persevere through the opposition if we are going to see God do incredible things. We've got to persevere. We've got to push through and do the hard things. And as we do that, in the power of God, the Lord will do incredible things. You all, let's repent together of our inaction and our unwillingness to move forward. We get into verse 4, we see that the vision becomes more clear. Y'all, when miracles and really big significant stuff starts to happen, people can't remain neutral. Neutrality is a lie anyway. There's no neutrality about anything. Not in God's world. But when these miracles come, people in the city have to make a decision. Let us not be afraid of division. Y'all, division's going to happen anyway on Judgment Day, right? He separates the sheep from the goats. He separates the wheat from the weeds and the tares. Final judgment is going to happen, and gospel proclamation makes that coming separation harder to avoid. Gospel proclamation causes division to happen before judgment day, and it makes it clear where each person stands. You all, if we want revival... If we want a growing church, but we are unwilling to risk division, we are not going to see revival. Let's repent together. Let's take risks and let's proclaim Jesus. Let us command those hostile to the gospel that they will have to stand before God one day and they will have to give an account of all that they have done and let us call them to repentance. We get to verse 5 and we see that our enemies, those who oppose us, will often partner with corrupt civil rulers to mistreat an obedient church. Our enemies, (laughs) some heads are nodding. This is more clear to us today as Americans than it was five years ago, and certainly more than it was 20, 40 60 or 100 years ago. This is more clear to us today than ever before. And I want to tell you, this is my 10th year pastoring. I've been telling you, I I don't like to say I told you so much, but I'm going to say it right here. I've been saying that this day is going to come. And I'm right. And you all, I'm confident in what I'm about to say next. It's just going to get harder for us. I believe that with everything that's in me. So rulers, this is your law enforcement. This is your Congress. This is the people who are in charge of the town. Rulers are to bear the sword against injustice and evil. You've heard me say that before. But they often turn and do the opposite. And this is one of the greatest threats facing the church today. There is a huge increase since Roe versus Wade was overturned in the FBI wrongfully targeting Christians who are standing at abortion clinics preaching the gospel. In Washington and Congress, 
We have the Equality Act. It went through the House of Representatives, but it's stuck in Congress right now. And this legislation would penalize Christians with severe criminal penalties for speaking the basic commands of God to our culture. In China right now, they are setting up what they call a social credit system. It's a mass surveillance state. I read three articles on it this week. They got cameras everywhere. More cameras than you can ever imagine. And they have their certain, the government is establishing a code of ethics. What is proper behavior for a Chinese citizen? And if they catch you outside of those standards, then you will get docked on your social credit score. And if your social credit score goes down, then you can't travel as freely as someone who has a higher um, score. If you speak out against the government and are critical of them, if you exercise what I believe is a God-given right of free speech, they're going to make you pay. If you say that the government is wrong, or if you say that there's another king, his name is Jesus, you will be penalized. It's similar to vaccine passports. It says, this social credit system says, if you don't agree with me and do every particular thing we want you to do, then we're going to penalize you and restrict your freedom. This is common in our world. The enemies of God partner with civil rulers to threaten and harm God's people. Following Jesus might get you blacklisted, and there will be a temptation to have a quiet faith. There is a temptation to have a private faith that has nothing to say to your neighbor. We must not comply. So the rulers wanted to mistreat them and stone them. Y'all, they learned of the plan. Y'all, God knows it all, right? God opened a way for them to know and understand about it. And then they went to other cities. In Matthew chapter 10, verse 23, Jesus said, When they persecute you in one town, flee to the next. It is an acceptable and legitimate practice to flee persecution. But there are also times when God wants you to stay. And it takes wisdom and a heart in tune with God to know when you should stay and when you should go. They faced opposition in verse 2. And in verse 3 it said they remained a long time. There was a time for them to stay and there was a time for them to go. So where did they go? They went to, I don't know if it's Lystra or Lystra, but they went to Lystra. It's about 20 miles south of Iconium. And we're going to read what happens there next week. And then they went to Derby. That's about 60 miles to the east. And then they kept, in verse 7, they continued to preach the gospel everywhere they went. If we don't tell people about Jesus, who's going to do it? Are the Muslims going to do it? Are they going to learn about it at the university? Are they going to learn about it on network television? Are they going to learn about it here or there? 
we as the church are the ones who are continue, must continue to preach the gospel. We must do as Jesus commanded us and disciple the nations. We are calling the world to follow the King. We have a lot of reasons why we don't do this. I've tried to expose some of those today. I've confessed to you some of the reasons why I haven't or why I don't do that. And I want to tell you that we all have some repenting to do. We all hesitate to share the gospel. And some of us don't ever share it at all. We have some repenting to do. And church, I want us to do that together. Let's pray. Let's have a time of silence. This prayer time and our time at the table and our singing is a response to what God has said through his word. So let's take a time of silence and respond as individuals and talk to our Lord.